as a young Marine, I thought uh, I was invincible. I was in my 20s, um, I was in good shape, I was, uh, well, what else can I say? I was in my 20s in good shape, so I thought I was invincible. <laughs> and as a Marine, though, there was these Marines that were mythical Marines. And these mythical Marines were reconnaissance Marines, force reconnaissance Marines, and you knew who force reconnaissance Marines were because they wore these gold wings and then these, this, this gold scuba guy on their chest. And they would walk around with their chest, chest puffed out and you would hear stories of them jumping out of airplanes 25,000 feet with oxygen on. And you would, you would hear how they would infiltrate enemy lines with their scuba equipment. And I wanted to be one of those Marines. That's what my ambition was. That's what would validate the reason I was in the Marine Corps and that's what I would count success if I became a reconnaissance Marine. And so that's what I did. I, I, that was full force what I went for. I want to be one of those guys, and I ended up being one of those, those guys. And that was my ambition. And many of us would define ambition as nothing more than the drive for personal honor and fame. And the fact is, is we are created to have ambition. But that ambition is for us to glorify God by improving, producing, developing, and creating wherever God has placed us. And this God-glorifying hardwiring often gets abandoned or lost as we seek our glory instead of God's glory. And the result of this often is the sense of numbness, paralysis, or confusion about our lives. But yet, Christ gives us new life and redeems our ambition, and we truly live when our ambition is for the glory of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a message that I've titled, Joyful Ambition. So if you're not already there, turn to Philippians 1, 18. It's also on the back of your bulletin. And today what I want to do is I want to look at three ways we could redeem our ambition for the glory of Christ. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for another day that you have made. We thank you for bringing us into this place together. I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word and teach us the things that we do not know. So we pray for this, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we see is that we bring glory to Christ by taking courage in the provisions of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 says, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul's in prison. He's writing to the Philippians, and last week, Pastor John talked about how he's explaining his current ministry context. So he's, he's seeing the palace guard is coming to know Christ, and, and he's in these areas of, of Rome, and he's able to preach the glory of Christ. And so people are, are coming to know Christ. But Paul, on, on, on verse 18, shifts from his current ministry context to his future ministry context and his future situation. And he's quite optimistic about his future. In fact, considering the situation, he's quite courageous. I mean, he's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. And the, 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 the possibility of death is real. 
the Romans weren't known for being nice. They had perfected death. And as a Marine, courage was pounded into me. As a matter of fact, that's one of our, the, the, the core values, honor, courage, and commitment. And courage is not the absence of fear, yet it is the strength to persevere in the midst of fear. And Paul's not only persevering, he's rejoicing. We have to ask ourselves, how? How is he able to do this? Well, verse 19 says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We see Paul asked the Philippians to pray, and they're praying for him. And he's asking for those provisions, that courage that comes through by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see Christ's glorifying courage is supplied by the Holy Spirit. It's not manufactured on our, on our own. It's got to become through the Holy Spirit through prayer. But the question is, is what does Christ's glorifying courage look like? I mean, what does it look like? When we look at Paul, we see Christ's glorifying courage is the willingness to put personal reputation and well-being on the line for the purposes of exalting Christ. Verse 20 says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now and always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul lives in a shame-based culture, and being in prison is quite shameful. And the threat of death, like I mentioned, was a very good possibility for him. Yet, Paul doesn't care about his reputation or his well-being. His ambition is not to make himself famous or comfortable. His ambition, whether by life or by death, was to exalt Christ. And he exchanges this self-exaltation for Christ's exaltation and rejoice with eager expectation that he would be delivered in one way or another. I mean, I think he really thinks he's, he, he has a possibility of getting out of prison because he talks about being with them, but he also contemplates death. So you can see this struggle. Like He's like, I'm going to be delivered one way or another, either here in this world or in the world to come. Regardless, I'm here and I will be delivered. And he doesn't care about that, his reputation, if it's shameful or not, because he just cares about glorifying Christ. Now, some of us might say, well, what's wrong with having a good reputation? That's a good question, and there's nothing wrong with wanting a good reputation as long as it brings glory to Christ. And my concern for us is that we don't wrestle with standing up for Christ on our front lines. My concern is that we are fearful and we're par paralyzed for standing up for Christ on our front lines or wherever God has placed us. And we look at Paul and sometimes we think, well, Paul is a super Christian. And he had this unstoppable mentality. He's just, he's unique. And the fact is, is Paul did have an unstoppable mentality, but he's not a super Christian. He's a normal guy, just like you and me. He has the same struggles. But I want to go back to something that Paul says. He says, I will in no way be ashamed. I will in no way be ashamed. You see, our fear and our shame are rooted in our ambition. If our ambition is simply to be successful and have a good reputation apart from Christ, when confronted with adversity that threatens our success or reputation because of Christ, we will, we will shrink back. But when our ambition is rooted in Christ's glory, empowered by his spirit, that shame disappears and we become unstoppable. We see that 
When it's rooted in Christ, with the glory of Christ, where ambition is rooted in the glory of Christ, every opportunity, in every context, in life or by death, is a chance to fulfill our creative purpose, which is to bring glory to Christ. That's why we're created, to bring glory to Christ. And here's the thing. When you're bringing glory to Christ, you're fulfilling your creative purpose. And when you're fulfilling your creative purpose, the result of that is joy. And you rejoice because you're doing what you were created to do. And that's how Paul can sit there and rejoice. He's doing exactly what he was created to do. And I think this idea of putting our reputation on the line has even a more significant meaning for us here at Free Christian Church. I know some of you are new to Free Christian Church, but our history, this church was founded by people that were owned a flax mill and were very successful in business, but put their reputations and livelihood livelihoods on the line to stand against the tyranny of slavery for the glory of Christ. They put it all on the line. That's our history even here at Free Christian Church. And I want to encourage you to step out in faith. Ask for that courage. And maybe that's just starting with inviting someone to this Alpha Dinner on Thursday. I know you are thinking about somebody right now that you're like, you know what, I would love for them to come and just have the opportunity to talk through these things, these big questions. So I pray that you would, you would pray for that courage and ask them to come. So that's the first thing. The second thing, we bring glory to Christ by having a Christ-centered perspective. Verse 21. For me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall, I, what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Our ambitions are always mediated through our perspective. I mean, I was a Marine. My perspective was a Marine perspective. And so therefore my ambition to pursue success was to become a reconnaissance Marine. And here we have Paul. He can't imagine his life without Christ. And so Paul begins to process his future by looking at it through a Christ-centered lens. And we see a Christ-centered perspective is, is experiential. He starts it off in verse 21. For to me, Christ is meant to be experienced. And we see this acceptance of who Christ is. We see this affection that Paul has for Christ, this devotion and this loyalty to Christ, so much so that he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Paul's sitting there, and he's like, my prize is Christ, and I want Christ so bad. I feel him now, but I want an unhindered view of Christ, and I desire to be in his presence. That's what he wants. He's experiencing Christ, and he longs to experience him in an unhindered way. We see a Christ-centered perspective is, is practical. He says, for to me to live. Verse 22 says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for, you, for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul's sitting here, and he's, he's kind of talking Talking it out. Like, I love it when Paul does this. It's like real humanity. 
he's, he's talking through some of the, the challenges he's having, some practical challenges. He's saying, listen, I desire to be in the presence of Christ. I'm so ready to be in the presence of Christ. I'm so ready to cast off this body and be in the presence of Christ. But my ambition is to see Christ glorified, and it's better that I remain here with you so that Christ could be glorified. And he's talking through that. He's talking through that, that practical implication of his life. We see Christ is present every moment of our day. And the fact is, is our ambitions attempt to make sense out of our lives and answer one important question. Why am I here? I mean, we do the things that we do so we can validate our purpose in life. Right? I mean, that's, that's what we do. We're attempting to answer the question, why am I here? And here's the thing. Christ answers this. Instead of making sense into life, Christ makes life into sense by making it clear that we are here to fulfill our creative purposes by bringing glory to him. And until Christ is the most important thing in your life, the question for purpose will continue no matter how successful, altruistic, or educated you are. And one very successful athlete a few years back in an interview said something, and maybe you'll know who this is. This is what this athlete says. Very successful athlete. Very beloved athlete. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, th this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Do we know who said that? Tom Brady. There's got to be more than this. Perspective is important. Perspective drives our ambition, which directs our decisions that have real impacts on our life. And the hard thing is that some of our ambition that directs those, those decisions are to pursue things that are in and of themselves good things. So what's wrong with pursuing happiness? Nothing. What's wrong with pursuing happiness for my kids? Nothing. What's wrong with pursuing job security? Nothing. What's wrong with pursuing health? Nothing. The problem is perspective. When it's not centered on Christ, these things tend to usurp the throne of our hearts and become idols. They bump Christ out. And these idols are hollow. They're temporary, and they give this facade of flourishment. But in the end, they always disappoint. Always. And, and I'm convicted by this because I look at these, these, these little metal thingies that I wore on my chest for almost 20 years. And I think about the cost of my ambition. And it usually happens when I start looking through pictures. I start looking at pictures of my kids. My kids are older. And I start looking at them and I see, you know, I start to get a little weepy. And... It's not because I missed it when they were little. I mean, I do, they didn't talk back as much, but I miss them when they were little, but there's something more than that. I look at it and I see these pictures and I go, when did you break your arm? Oh, you weren't, you weren't here, Dad. I go, oh, yeah, that's right. I was, I was at jump school. 
hey, when did you have a haircut that looked like someone put a bowl on your head and, and oh, you, you weren't there, Dad, you were gone. Oh, that's right, I was at dive school. And I realized that this wasn't rooted in Christ. This was rooted in self-glory. And it was just really convicting to me. We see a Christ-centered perspective redeems ambition by putting Christ on the throne of your heart where he belongs. And Christ puts things in their proper place, which, which frees us. The sting of death is gone. Our price is Christ. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. The sting of death is gone. I live for Christ. And this frees us. This frees us from ceasing to earn and validate our existence in this world. Because we're here for a purpose, which is to glorify Christ no matter where he's put us. And that's freeing. And this allows us to, be, to ambitiously love others. Because we're secure in who we are in Christ. This allows us to ambitiously flourish wherever God has placed us. Because we know we are placed there by Christ. I mean, look at Paul. Paul's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. People are saying, game over. Game over, Paul. You're in prison. What are you going to do from prison? You're in a Roman prison. You're going to probably die. Game over. Yet here's Paul, and his ministry is flourishing in a way that it never flourished before. God's good that way. I just, I just got to sit, sit there for a second. How, how God turns these circumstances into, into opportunities to see him glorified. So i got to ask you, what perspective is driving your ambition and directing your life decisions? What is it? So that's the second thing. The third thing. We bring glory to Christ by having confidence in the power of the gospel. Verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on the account of me. Paul is absolutely brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. He understands the context of the Philippians. Again, Philippi is a military town. They're a bunch of retirees. And one thing military people speak is service and sacrifice. And Paul's demonstrating that for them as, as he's writing to them. They get it. He's like, and I want to demonstrate it some more. So it's better that I remain with you to demonstrate this. He understands their context. I, I once used the idea that, and, I, and I'm going to say this like a bazillion times, so you're going to get sick of hearing this, but Paul was like the, the ancient, most interesting man in the world. Like, he was awesome. He spoke different languages. He was educated. He was a world traveler. He could just fit his way into different cultures. Paul could have been anything that he want, wanted. Like, I, don't, I want to get that in, in, in our perspective here. Like, Paul could be anything that he wants. If Paul was sitting on us right now, you'd say, oh, Paul, you could, you could be a, a, the president of a Fortune 500 company. Easy, no problem. With the amount of motivation and drive that you have and how you can mobilize people, wow. So he understands the context of the Philippians. And he has confidence that the gospel will change them. Because why? Because it's changed him. Let's remember who Paul was. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a murderer. 
He was trying to snuff out the Christian church. You want to know more about that? Read about it in Acts. Yet now the one that was trying to destroy the church who hated Christ now will give his life for Christ and counts that his life is for Christ. We see verse 26. He says, so that through my being, you will again, you will again your boasting in Christ Jesus will bound on account of me. He uses this term boasting. And often we think the word boasting is in a negative connotation. We think that's, um, that's prideful. But this word boasting doesn't mean that. It's really a motive or a ground for being satisfied in the achievement of Christ. And there's really two aspects of this boasting. One is this internal, internal confidence in our salvation in Christ. It's the confidence that when I put my faith in Christ, I am identified with Christ and I have a union with Christ and I will never be separated from Christ. I cannot lose my salvation. He will and has promised to change me into his image until one day I see him face to face and I live in that security and that identity. That's the internal security. And when we have internal, internal security in Christ and, and our identity in Christ, this allows us to take risks because we're secure. So he says, I want to be with you so that you could have that, that internal confidence. He says, also, I want you, you to have this external confidence. And, and part of boasting is this external confidence and eagerness to proclaim the gospel. And these things go together. Because you can't possibly proclaim the gospel with confidence unless you really believe in the power of the gospel. Like experientially believe in the, in the gospel. I'm not talking about the words. I'm talking about actually understand grace. How sweet grace is. I think we miss this sometimes. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses. We were spiritually speaking a bag of bones and could not choose anything of God. And we were separated from God. Yet God did not leave us there. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect and righteous life. And Christ was nailed to a cross and he died but he was resurrected. And when we put our faith in Christ and what he has done for us, we too are resurrected to new life. And we're no longer dead, but we're given hearts of flesh. And when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of his son. And he loves us with the love he has for the son. And one day God is going to recreate and bring us back to Eden. And he has a he wants us to be part of that. Like, this isn't just it. Like, the gospel is, is this recreation story where we will one day walk with God in the coolness of the garden and have this personal, unhindered relationship. That's the gospel. That's where we, 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 we have our confidence in, and it just exudes who we are and when we talk. The heartbeat of Paul's ambition was Christ. And this, this really convicted me as I prepared this message. I usually sleep like a rock. Like, if I'm out, I'm out. And I woke up to, in my head, 
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it just kept on rolling in my head. And I want my, my, the heartbeat of my ambition to be Christ. And so I have to ask you, what is the heartbeat of your ambition? How would you answer this? For me to live is what? Given your priorities and your schedule this week, how would you honestly fill that blank? And what would change if you put Christ in that blank? If we're honest with ourselves, what would change? Everything. I'm going to encourage you this week to fill out that blank. Process that blank. Pray through that blank. And my prayer is that our ambition would be joyfully rooted in Christ's glory so that we could be free, take risks, and so that our heartbeat would be to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you have done through your son. We thank you for your grace. And I pray that as we reflect on our lives that we would do so with honesty and ask your spirit to reveal anything that might hinder us from living for Christ and for his glory. Jesus, we just, we just want to see you. We just want to see you glorified through in our families, at work, in our town, in the Merrimack Valley, and, and throughout the, the universe. So that's what we pray for right now. We thank you for this time and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.